I pray that you have had a good week. Um, it's good to be back in here in this place to have an opportunity to spend some time together and spend some time in the Word. I pray that you are learning something as you walk through this time, as we spend some time in the book of Acts in reference to the early church. Remember we started out, we talked about some of the four devotions of the early believers and those four devotions, remember they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, and how God began to do some incredible things in the life of the early church. It began to expand. You guys remember that? We talked about that. That's what happens when God's people live as God intended, and they share, and they serve, and they love. Let me tell you something. It's amazing, because the world on the outside is looking they're looking for something different. Church on Sunday morning does not attract them, I promise you that. It does not attract them. What they're looking for is they're looking for something different. The church didn't grow because of military power or popularity, but it grew because of those believers that shared the message, and they went about making disciples as Jesus had instructed them. The church grew. Last week we talked about some of the challenges, one challenge in particular um, you guys remember what that challenge was? You got the, you got the, uh, the Greek-speaking believers that complained, and they, didn't, they felt like they were being uh, sort of slighted on the distribution of food. And the problem wasn't the problem. The problem wasn't the way that they felt. The problem was how they handled it. You remember that? You remember what they did? They didn't go to the apostles, but they talked amongst themselves. They complained and grumbled. Can you imagine anybody complaining or grumbling. Lord, that doesn't make any sense. I've never heard church people grumble or complain. Not you. It's not that way. But there was a, a, a rift that began to take place in the early church, and so it was, it was, uh, it was dealt with. The apostles decided, they went to the, to the believers, and they decided they would have seven men that would walk alongside, and they would be the one that handles the, the distribution of food. And one of those guys was a man by the name of Stephen, and when Stephen was asked to serve, he didn't say, oh, you know what, that's, that's not my passion, or man, you know, that's just not my giftedness. But he said, man, listen, if that's the way that I can serve, I'm in. It's not about me. That was a big point last week. It's just not about me. But if that's what I need to do, that's what I'll do. I'll serve. And so we see how, how, how God used that. And here's Stephen, and his, his decision to serve not only helped protect the unity of the body of believers, but also through his life, many people would come, and death, many people would come to know Christ. And if you remember last week, one of the big things that we talked about at the end was Stephen's life and the fact that he was stoned. He was killed for his faith. And you guys like the, like the fact that when he was being stoned, do you remember that thing that he looked up and Jesus wasn't sitting, but he was standing? Well, we're going to pick this up today in Acts chapter 8. But before I get there, let me just say this. There were really three things, if you talk to people, some, some say three things, history-changing uh, moments that took place in the early church. One, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's obvious. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, our redemption, reconciliation, and rebirth through the forgiveness of sins because we were estranged from God. The second thing was the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost when all of a sudden, here it is, these believers were assembled in a room and just like Jesus had told them and said, listen, you go there and wait and you pray and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's going to empower you to be witnesses. 
And that's what took place. Those early believers became witnesses. Now, let me stop for a second and say this. If you're not a witness for Christ, something's missing. That's an old mean. If you're not witnessing, if you're not a witness, if you're not a testimony for Christ, as a result of your speech and as a result of your life, you need to go back and as a friend used to say, you need to check yourself. Y'all are pretty quiet this morning. That should be an amen, oh me, or something. But I promise you, if your life has been changed and you've been filled with the Spirit, you are different. The third thought was this right here. The other history-making moment was the moment of persecution when it began to take place. And that's where we're going to begin today. Uh, Because up until this time, everything was going well. But Stephen's death, what happened is it opened up. It opened up. That persecution didn't, wasn't just something that happened, but it became the norm. And read with me this morning in Acts chapter 8 as we read what Luke records for us. And be in mind that Luke is a, is a book of, or Acts is a book of history that was written, written by Luke, that it's a sort of a continuation of his gospel, the gospel of Luke. And so here's Luke writing down and recording for us what took place. And he said here in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, a great wave of persecution began that day. So after the stoning of Stephen, it was like it opened up the door for persecution to begin to take place. And it said it's, it's sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now, I don't think this is in your notes. Maybe it is, but I want you to write this down because I think this is a really important part Suffering is inevitable. Suffering is inevitable for the disciple who chooses to follow Christ wholeheartedly. Listen, suffering is inevitable for the disciple who chooses to follow Christ wholeheartedly. If you follow Jesus as you're supposed to follow Jesus with all of your heart, somewhere along the journey, you're going to be persecuted. Man, y'all are quiet this morning. If you're following Jesus and you're doing what you should be doing and you're being obedient somewhere along the line, you are, will be persecuted for your faith. Thank you, Mr. John. I heard that. And the guy who stood and watched Stephen be stoned to death would leave that day with one agenda. And you know what that agenda was? To persecute the church, to destroy the church. Not the building, but the ecclesia, the people. The people, the believers that gathered themselves around the message and the mission of the gospel. And Luke says that that day Saul began going from house to house to house, dragging out those people that professed to be believers and arresting them and sending them to prison. Now, let's talk about family for a second. Let's just let's, let's calm it down. Um, so in our house... Um, there's that time in the morning when everybody's waking up, okay? You with me? And if you've got children, especially teenagers, um, so you go in their room and, and you say, all right, wakey, wakey, time to get up. <laughs> you leave and you turn around and you go back out and five minutes later you come back in and they're still in the bed. 
So this time it's not wakey-wakey, it's uh, rise and shine and give God the glory. <laughs> you come back five minutes later, and they're still in the bed. Let's not talk about what happens after that, okay? Yeah, oh me. <laughs> so here is Jesus. Now listen to me. Having given the marching orders to the early disciples and told them what to do. And if you remember, he didn't tell them to stay in Jerusalem. But he said, I want you to go and to make, nation, uh, make disciples of all nations. And you remember what he told them? He said, listen, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Right? Yet up until this time, here is the gospel being centered in Jerusalem, not outside of Jerusalem. But what would happen in the midst of this persecution? All of a sudden, here is the gospel that's going to go outside of the city into Judea, into Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. It's like God is saying, okay, listen, it's time. Time to go. You see that? It's amazing how God even uses persecution to, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so they fled and they settled in new places. And when they went, they took more than their clothes and their belongings. They also took the gospel with them. They took the gospel. And one of the byproducts of the persecution of the followers of Christ was the fact that they, they took Jesus along. And just as Jesus had promised, they weren't alone. The Holy Spirit was with them, and they began to witness. They empowered them to be witnesses, and that's what happens. Listen, you say, man, I just don't know how to witness. Listen, the Holy Spirit empowers you to witness. I can't tell you how many times I've been in the midst of a conversation. I have no earthly idea, and all of a sudden, man, God brings something to my mind. He brings a passage of Scripture. We wonder why we're supposed to memorize Scripture. Colt, I don't know how many passages of Scripture you have memorized, but I promise you there are times when, man, God just brings them to mind just like that. And all of a sudden, boom, just like that. And so here are these disciples that are being spread out. And one of those seven that happened to had to be chosen to serve back in chapter 6 was a guy by the name of Philip who served alongside of Stephen. And look at what it says in verse 5. Philip, for example, and I want you to know this is only one story today. We're only going to go through, chapter, through verse 8. But if you take this on out, you'll see there, there are a whole lot of other things that happened as a result of Philip's evangelism and because of his witnessing. It said that he went to the city of Samaria. There it is. And after the death of Solomon, let me just sort of bring you up to date. After the death of Solomon, King Solomon, the, the, the kingdom was divided into two, the north and the south. You guys remember that? Some of you say yes, some of you say no. After the kingdom of Israel was divided, the north and the south, you had Israel and Judah. You had Jerusalem that was the capital. You had, you had Samaria that was the capital of the northern kingdom. You had two tribes of the 12 tribes of Jacob that were, that were stationed, and they lived in, Judah, in, in, um, in Jerusalem. And you had 12, uh, 10 of the other tribes that lived in the north. In, 720, 70, in 722, the Lord sent the Assyrians in to defeat the, to defeat the, uh, the northern kingdom because of their disobedience. And as a result of that, what ended up happening was that uh, they took captive many of those that were living, and they left behind those that were sick and afflicted. What ended up happening was that you had foreigners that came in, and they intermarried with those Jews that were left. And it created a race of people called the Samaritans. 
Maybe you've heard about the Samaritans. They weren't very well, they weren't looked very well upon. Nobody really wanted to do anything. They, they called them half-breeds. They called them half-breeds. As a matter of fact, maybe you remember the story that Jesus told about the good Samaritan. Maybe you remember that story. Here's Jesus being asked by a religious leader, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered a question with a question. He said, well, what does the law of Moses say? Well, the religious leader said, well, that's easy to love the Lord God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, but who's, and the, and the, and the religious guy said, but who's my neighbor? And you remember the story that Jesus goes on to tell about the guy that's on the road, he's on the path, and he's, he's robbed and he's attacked, he's left to die. There's three people that approach him, two of those religious people. You would expect them to stop, but they didn't stop. But the one who did stop was who? He was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. And he stopped. And not only did he, he stop, but he bandaged up his wounds. He took care of him. He put him on his donkey. He took him to a place to stay, and he paid for him to stay, and he he said, listen, man, I want you to feed him. I want you to take care of him. And if anything happens, I want you to let me know. And I'm going to be passing back through, and I'll make sure I'll, I take care of his bill. The Samaritans were so despised that the Jews would not pass through Samaria. Samaria, Samaria sat in the, in the center. And so from Jews to get from north to south, or from north to south, they would have to pass. They would go around. It was a whole lot simpler just to go, to go straight through, but they wouldn't do that. They didn't want to pass through Samaria. They didn't want to be unclean or come in contact with unclean people. And isn't it interesting that Philip would end up in Samaria? Samaria. With all the prejudices. Yet it was a place that Jesus had instructed the believers that they were to be witnesses. And so you've got this race of people that felt ostracized, and here comes Philip, and he didn't avoid them as others had in the past, but he comes to them, and he enters into the city. And look at what he did. It says, and he told them there about the Messiah. Now, this isn't the first time that they had heard about the Messiah. They knew. They had heard the word. As a matter of fact, there's a story in the, in the New Testament, um, I think it's in the book of John, where John records that Jesus would travel through Samaria. He wouldn't go around Samaria. He's got the disciples, and instead of going around Samaria like they would always do, Jesus took the disciples through Samaria. Maybe you remember that story. The disciples, after getting in, they, they went to the village to find something to eat. And here's Jesus left alone by this well. There was a woman that he met there. We call her the woman at the well. And in an interaction Jesus had with her, she came to realize and recognize that he was the Messiah. She would go off and she would tell others. And in the midst of that, here is others coming to see Jesus. Here are the disciples coming back. And such a powerful statement is made. Jesus said to them there at that time in the midst of that conversation, which I think is so awesome. He says this. He said, listen, and he uses the illustration in reference to farming. He said, listen, there's usually four months that takes place between the planting of a seed and the harvest. But he said, I tell you now, the fields 
are ripe unto harvest. Isn't that awesome? This is not that far away from what was taking place. And here is Jesus looking amongst these people with his disciples. And they're, you know, they probably think, well, man, he's talking about planting seeds and harvesting seeds. But Jesus wasn't talking about that. He was talking, talking about the harvesting of souls. And so here is Philip arriving in Samaria. And Luke says that the crowds listened intently to Philip. Well, why did they listen? Well, he tells us. They wanted to hear his message and see the miraculous signs. Listen, the people were interested in what Philip had to say. They wanted a little bit more information. To the person who feels rejected and unwanted, let me tell you this. The good news is good news. So here's a group of people, ostracized, felt uh, unwanted, unloved, felt like they had been wronged. And here is Philip bringing the good news that Jesus had died. Man, that he died on the cross for the shedding of sins. And that they're shedding a blood for their sins. And their sins were forgiven. And let me also say this. Not only is the person ostracized looking for good news, but so is the person that comes to recognize that they're a sinner. Many people have no need for salvation. Because they don't recognize the desperate state that they're in. When you came to Christ, what was on your mind? To the person that recognizes their sinfulness, that recognizes the situation that they're in, the good news is good news. And so here's Philip bringing the story of Jesus and his death and sacrifice on the cross And let me remind you that salvation was not just for the Jews, but also the Samaritans. That's the message. And it's available to you, he told them. And then they wanted to see the miraculous signs. If you know anything about the early church and the disciples and the movement of the gospel, you know, the Lord empowered those early disciples with many powers. Miraculous signs and and wonders. They would heal the sick and and the lame and the afflicted. And those miracles would open the door for the gospel to be heard. And many people would listen because of what they saw. Because they knew that there was something that was different. And look at what it says in verse 7. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who have been paralyzed or lame were healed. Don't get stuck up on that. Don't get stuck there. It would be really easy to get stuck there. See, but there's things that I know that go on around this world that you've not seen because you've not been in other places around this world. It's a reality. And so here's Philip bringing the good news, performing miracles, and as a result, many people being healed, changed, and transformed. And guess what it says? And there it is in verse 8. There was great joy in the city. If you read a little bit further, many people were saved and many people were baptized. There was great joy in the city. In the city. When we do what God's commissioned us to do as believers, when the church is living on mission, and it brings joy to the city. That's what happens. When we do what we're supposed to do and we live as we're supposed to live, we bring joy to the city. Here's a question. As a Christ follower, I'm talking to those of you that are a believer today, those of you that are followers Those of you that say there's been a time in my life when I've professed Christ, 
Let me ask you a question. How are you investing your life? You know, I often think about missionary families and the sacrifices that they've made to take the gospel to another place where people that haven't heard. I think about that. I think about the decisions and the sacrifices they've made as individuals and families because of their passion of others coming to know Jesus. But hear what I'm telling you. All of us have to make a choice of how we're going to spend and invest our lives. How are you investing yours? I mean, is the pattern of your life focused around efforts of trying to gain happiness for yourself, or are you investing your life with others in mind? Do you seek to bring joy to those around you? Because, listen, you know that there's a difference between happiness and joy, right? Happiness is those things on the outside, and they seem to, things on the outside seem to control our happiness. Well, if this happens, then I'll be happy. If this happens, I'll be happy. You know, if I get a raise, I'm happy. If I go home and the kids have mowed the yard, I'm happy. If I go home and, man, there's a great supper at the table, man, I'm happy. But what happens when there's not? Joy is not based on what happens out here, but joy comes from here. An inner peace of knowing Jesus, that he is in control in whatever situation that we may face. Can I tell you a story? Can I tell you a story? <laughs> you guys are going to like this. All right, so here it is. I don't see Doug Smiley here today. Doug and I had lunch on Thursday. I'm not going to tell you where we were, but we had lunch. Um, and so after lunch, I go to get in the truck, and I can't find my keys. So... I get an extra key that I had, and, and I, I crank up my truck. I pull up to the front of the store. I go inside. Man, I leave my keys there. No, I didn't leave the keys. And I, I go back outside, and I notice my phone's down on the floor. And then I look over. My bag is gone. My computer bag is gone. With my computer, a couple of hundred dollars in cash that I had left from a trip that I hadn't taken out yet, all kinds of travel documents, uh, titles to certain things, two Bibles that were in there, my preaching Bible, all kinds of stuff. In my, my bag is gone. So I'm like, okay, all right. So first, my first call was to the computer group to say, hey, listen, I need to shut down my computer, and I need to make sure that I, I, I save that stuff. And then I called the sheriff's department. They came and they met me, and they did all this stuff, and they took fingerprints, and I got black stuff all over my truck, and and so, um, so if you tried to break in my truck lately, listen, they may be calling you, just so you know that. Um, so we're at, I was telling the guy what was in the truck, and, and, and he said, two Bibles? What, you got two Bibles in a bag? Are you a priest or something? And I said, no, I'm not a priest. And I said, I'm a priest. <laughs> I said, I'm a pastor. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. And so, so he, he said to me, he said, uh, Man, I don't know why anybody wants to steal a, pe a priest stuff. He said, why somebody want to do that for? And I said, listen, I said, not a big deal. He said, man, you don't seem to be that stressed. I said, well, there ain't nothing I can do about it. What do you want me to do? And he said, well, listen. He said, uh, he said, man, most people are just flipping out about this time. I said, well, there's not anything I can do about it. It is what it is. And uh, I said, you know, if the Lord wants me to have my stuff back, I said, he's going to give it back to me. He said, Mr., I got to tell you something, Bruce, and uh, Butch and I were talking about it this morning. He said, Mr., let me just tell you, you, you this kind of stuff doesn't show back up. He said, I'm going to tell you stuff's gone, 
We might find it in a pawn shop someplace. May not. I don't know. And uh, he said, uh, so, but listen, man, I hope you have a great day. And I, I, I left and I came back to the office and I couldn't get in the office because I didn't have my keys. So Sheila had to let me in the office. And so I go in the door and I had called Sheila and said, look, probably need to order another computer. And so I walked in. She said, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. There's nothing I can do. And I said, you know, it's got, all the, it's got all the men's stuff on there for the retreat next week. It's got this and this and this. And some stuff isn't served, saved on the cloud. And some stuff is saved on the cloud. And I don't know. And whatever. I said, Lord's going to take care of it. If I need it back, he's going to give it to me. I've been there before. Two minutes later, I get a phone call. Pastor Brock, where are you at? So I'm at church house. Can you come back up here? Yep. So I went back up. He said, now look. He said, uh, I think it's your bag. I don't really know, but it's pretty odd that a, a blue backpack would be out in the middle behind this and it not be yours. So it's probably yours. I don't know if anything's in it or not. And so they brought it up. They were taking some fingerprints and doing some stuff. They brought it back up and they started going through my backpack and uh, didn't find my cash and my keys, but everything else was there. And the guy said, I can't believe this. I looked at him, I said, didn't I tell you that God would give me my stuff back if he thought I needed it? (laughs) Let me tell you you something. May my joy never be in a computer bag. May it never even be in a Bible. I mean, listen, one of the Bibles that I have is worth $400. $400. Listen, when you use it all the time, it'll fall apart. I have to have a good bound Bible. And so, I mean, I really wanted the Bible back more than I really wanted the computer, if you really wanted to know the truth. But may my joy never be in a book, or may it never ever be in a computer bag, or even in some cash. May it be in Jesus. There are lots of things in this world that can bring temporary happiness for a season. But joy comes from an eternal assurance and confidence that only comes from the gospel. Now we're going to get really serious. I'm going to ask you some questions, okay? Number one, do you have the joy of knowing Jesus personally? This ain't for your sister, your mother, your your wife, your brother, your cousin, your son, or your daughter, your uncle. This is for you. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you have the joy of knowing him personally? You you know the song, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I got the joy, joy. Listen, do you have that joy? (laughs) Y'all just like singing that song. You're working it. Listen, when you know Jesus personally, there's a sense of assurance and stability that comes regardless of whatever situation you may face. Nothing else will fill that gap. Nothing else will satisfy that thirst. When I'm asking you about do you have a personal relationship with Jesus, I'm not asking you if you go to church. I'm not asking you if you teach a Bible study. I'm not asking you if you go to a small group. I'm not asking you if you serve it beyond the walls. I'm not asking you that if you lead music or even stand up here and preach. What I'm asking you is do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? That's what I'm asking you. 
Do you have the joy of knowing Jesus personally? I'm not even asking you if you've been baptized. But what I'm asking you is, do you have the joy of knowing Jesus personally? This isn't in your notes, but you can write this down. Peace isn't the absence of external conflict. Peace is not the absence of external conflict, but it's the power of an internal security that comes from knowing and trusting Jesus. Peace is not the absence of external conflict, but it's the power, it's the power of an eternal, internal security that comes from knowing and trusting Jesus. <laughs> and, I, and I don't know, I don't, I don't know where you are today, but you know, you know. And even today, right there where you are, you have the ability to make a decision to follow Christ. To call out to him and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. There are yellow cards that are in those pews. And, and listen, somewhere before we're done, you can fill one of those out to say, man, I, I want to know Jesus. Put it in one of these boxes. You can text this decision at that text number at 352-358-7770. You can text that decision. Just text in that number decision. And there's some information that will come, and you just put on there, listen, man, I want to know more information about Jesus. And I promise you, we have somebody that will contact you to sit down and talk with you about your personal relationship with Christ. We want to know. We want to know our church family. We want to know not only your story, but we want to walk alongside of you in the journey. The second question I want to ask you is this. Have we lost our sense of awe and expectation of what God is doing and what he wants to do. Have we lost a sense of, expecta- of awe and expectation to what God is doing and what he wants to do? See, there are people around the world that aren't worrying about the 401k or B or C or D or E. They're just worrying about putting food on the table. And I wonder if in America if we have not become inoculated and if we've not lost our sense of awe and wonder and expectation of what God is not only wants to do, but what he is doing. Hmm. I wonder how many of us are oblivious to the miracles that are going on around us because we have been spoiled. Do you hear what I'm telling you? How many of us take things for granted that people around the world would go, that's a miracle. That, that's a miracle. How many times do we miss it because we're not anticipating it? We're not expecting God to do something. You know, I, I experienced a miracle, you know, the other night with some men sitting inside of a room talking about the, talking about the scriptures. You say, how in the world was that a miracle? Because I saw men that were broke and humble that were sharing their stories of what God was doing in and around their lives. See, that's the power of the gospel. That's a miracle. See, that's great. I mean, it's incredible when you see a group of guys. One guy said to me, he says, man, he said, I never seen nothing like this. I've been in church. But this is not what I'm used to. But that's what God does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's a miracle to me. Luke recorded there in verse 6, he said, the crowds... The crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear this message and see the miraculous signs that he did. Think in your life. 
Any miracles that you can recall? Anything in your past that you go, man, that was Jesus. God did that. Maybe it was something physically, something, something emotionally, something that was relationally, something that was financial. I don't really know. But that was, man, God did that. I've told you the story before. Some people, I know you still haven't heard it. Because, you know, we have a lot of people that go church one week, church, they, you know, they don't miss and they go another week. And so, you know, I, I don't know who hears what. But back in 2004, there was a lot of things that happened here in, in, in this central Florida area. You remember what happened in 2004? Hurricanes. Hurricane Alley. Meredith and I were over at the beach. And uh, we were blessed to be able to go to the beach for a week. Somebody had a, a place that they couldn't use that week. And they said, hey, you guys want to go? And, well, sure, that's a no-brainer. So we go over. Uh, Abby would have been about three. And Caleb would have been about one. So we went over to the beach, and they had a nice place, and so we're right on the beach there at Bethune, and, uh, and we're a couple of days into the, into the stay, and all of a sudden there was a hurricane that came, went back around the side of the state, and Meredith said that night, she said, what are we going to do? I said, well, babe, there's not a thing we can do. I mean, there's nothing we can do back home. Everything's fine. I mean, we locked it down when we left. It's going to be okay. I mean, if it's, if it's going to blow away, it's going to blow away, regardless of whether or not. So I said, let's just stay here. But in the middle of the night, I got, to, I got to wrestling. And I felt like the Lord said, go. So I got up the next morning, and I started loading up stuff. And uh, Mary got up, and she said, what are you doing? I said, ah, oh, baby, I just, I think we need to go home. I wish you'd make up your mind. <laughs> I said, I don't know. I just feel like we need to. I said, baby, look, we'll just go home. We'll come back tomorrow. Everything will be fine. So it was about 11 o'clock when we left. And as we drove across, the winds were picking up. And about halfway, Meredith goes, you know, I forgot Caleb's baby monitor. I left it on the table. And I said, baby, it's okay. We'll, we'll pick it up when we get back tomorrow. Not a big deal. We get back. And if you remember, that storm went south of Orlando. And it cut across. And the next morning, we were watching the news. And, uh, and, and here is a helicopter flying over the damage that had been done by a tornado and he's taking a picture into a house and there was Caleb's baby monitor on the table. You talk about a miracle? I'm glad I wasn't in that house that night. I got some stories. One day I need to write a book about stories. I got, I told you so. And some of them I told you so. But how often do we miss out on the miracles of what God is doing because, man, we're just oblivious. We've, have we lost that sense of awe and anticipation of what, of what God might be doing? Can I tell you? Listen, there are people around us that realize that things are wrong. Let, let me say this. Healthy people don't, they don't need a doctor. Healthy people don't need a doctor. See, when, 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 I, when I get sick, I don't know about you, but I try to take care of myself to start off with. I try to self-diagnose, and I try to self-medicate, and I try to, man, I try to fix it. Are you with me? I just don't pick up all of a sudden, man, I'm sick. <coughs> I got to go to the doctor. It doesn't work that way. I mean, I try to fix it myself. I do everything that I can, but when I realize that I'm sick, sick, I got to go to the doctor. When I realize all of a sudden I can't fix it, 
I can't solve it. When I'm sick, 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 it's time to go to the doctor. There are people all around this community that recognize that they're sick, 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 and they can't fix it. There's some of you here today that recognize that you're sick, 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 and you can't fix it. And you know what you're looking for? Man, you're looking for a doctor. You're looking for some good news for somebody to give you so that you can receive that and so that your life can be different. And our communities are filled with people. you got people working beside you in their job places like that. You have people that come into your workplace of business that are looking. Man, they're not looking to do business. What they're looking for is they're looking for good news. You take somebody like Jim that's putting in ears, you know, uh, what do you call those things? Uh, yes. Yes, hearing aids. <laughs> Jim says it's amazing the number of times the people that come in, the greatest thing they're looking for isn't hearing aids. They're looking for somebody to talk about the gospel. Which brings me to the last question. As a follower of Christ, how do we bring joy to the city? How do we bring joy to the city? Listen, there's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with building businesses, achieving goals, and planning retirements. Everything of that is good. But let me tell you, there's something, there's more to this life than that. There's more to this life than earning a paycheck. There's more to this life than just walking in these doors on a Sunday morning. A whole lot more. There's more to this life than just attending another Bible study and checking it off of your list. There's more to this, this life than just, just writing off a, a tithe check. There's more to this life than, than serving over it beyond the walls and saying, man, I've done my good duty for the day. We have this incredible mission that God has given us to be witnesses and to make disciples. And so how do we break out of the religious comfort zones that's so easy to get into in that rut that we send so, tend, so, so easily uh, uh, get sucked into the day in and day out of doing religious activity? How do, we, how do we sort of get out of that rut to be about the mission that God has called us to? Are we on the same page? Yeah. How do we get outside of the rut to be about what God has called us about, what he's called us to do? I mean, listen, for some of you, it may be moving to another nation to take the gospel to a people group that's never, that's never heard the gospel. Maybe. For some of us here, I'll tell you what, it's not moving to another, not, not moving to another nation. It might just be going across the street to meet a neighbor that you've never met. Maybe it's being faithful to engage the people that God brings into your life and into your path each day. But as believers, when we trust Christ and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, just as it was in the days of the early church, the Holy Spirit prepares us and he prompts us to witness and to make disciples, to bring joy. So the church-owned mission brings joy to the city. Number one, it shows God's love. It shows God's love. The church-owned mission shows God's love. By blessing and serving the community. See, it's not what happens on the inside here that makes the difference. It's what happens on the outside, people. You can have the best things that happen here, but if it isn't going on out there, something's missing. There's something that's missing. You know, I've told you time and time again, there's people on the outside that don't want to come on the inside because they come on the inside and see the people on the inside whose lives aren't any different than theirs on the outside. And so they say, why do I want to go on the inside? Why can't I just stay on the outside? But what happens if there are a group of people 
that believed what the Word had to say and accepted the marching orders that Jesus gave 2,000 years and said, that's what we need to be about. That was why we created Project Legacy years ago. Many of you don't even have a clue what Project Legacy is. Sort of this under-the-radar thing that goes on. But it was created to reach people to impact the lives of people within our community, to create an awareness that that led to generosity. Project Legacy is its own 501c, but it helps us interact with people that normally we wouldn't interact with. And over the past eight, nine years, it's put back more than $100,000 into this community to help impact the lives of teenagers and children. Yeah, more than 50 different organizations that work with children here within our community. You got Bless Wildwood, Bless Fruitland Park. When we were in Wildwood, we started Bless Wildwood. Now we started Bless Fruitland Park here. And the focus on the attention is how do we bring the community together to work together? How do we bring churches? How do we bring civic organizations? How do we bring business uh, leaders here? How do we work with city government and also our schools to make a difference here within our community? It's incredible. Over the past five years or so, we've been able to, with others and partnering together, to put more than $75,000 back in our, our school here in Fruitland Park. That's incredible. That ain't happening in a lot of other places, people. I'm telling you. But it's amazing what happens when God people, God's people begin to work together and partner, and they've got a vision of making a difference and blessing and serving the community in which they live. Man, I, listen, I love Beyond the Walls. I have always loved Beyond the Walls. It will always remind us of the need, needs that we have face-to-face needs that we have here within this community. But beyond the walls is much bigger than just handing out food, people. It's much bigger than that. What it does is that food opens up the door so that we show God's love, so that we earn the right to be able to share God's love. That's what it's about. You know, here in just a few weeks, we're going to celebrate what's something with Blessed Fruitland Parks called Love Week. February the 8th through the 16th, and we've not talked an awful lot about it yet because there's a lot of things that's happening behind the scenes. But you can go to the website, our church website, and you can see some things that are happening if you'd like to participate. My challenge to you today is be thinking, now how can I as a family, how can I as a small group, how can I as a business, how can I as a civic group participate in Love Week and make a difference that week that we celebrate Love Week here within the community of Fruitland Park? I mean, how can I do that? How can I be creative with ways that I can make a difference so that I can join other people here within our community? Bart's got teams that are going out. There'll be teams that'll be doing work here within the community, code enforcement, helping people out. Listen, there'll be other things that happen in coordination with the city, the schools, churches. There's lots of things that'll happen. One of those things is a 5K. That 5K started several years ago, and you say, a 5K? Yeah, there's a 5K. One of our local businesses that some of our guys work with have have volunteered to sponsor, to be one of the lead sponsors in that event. It's not only to, uh, to help people to run or walk or whatever you do at a 5K. I've never participated. I don't have a desire to participate in a 5K. <laughs> but I might do that if some of you want to walk along with me or something. But anyway, I'll ride a bicycle. How about that? But anyway, but, but it's not just about the 5K, but it's about bringing awareness to hunger because during that time they're going to be raising funds and awareness to hunger here within our community and supporting our local food banks. Isn't that awesome? You can participate in that. You can help sponsor. You can run. You can help promote. 
I mean, how in the world do we work to be the hands and feet of Jesus? Man, I'm commissioning you to go and be creative. I'm commissioning for you to go out and be the church and to serve and to bless. But not only to show God's love, but also to, secondly, bring God's joy to the community by sharing God's love, proclaiming the good news of Christ. I'll say this again. It's not what happens in here that makes the difference. It's what happens out there. I mean, you get fired up. Yeah. You walk outside and you come back the next week. You get fired up again. <laughs> yeah. You come back the next week, get fired up again. You're not going to reach the world doing that, people. It's not the way you're going to reach the world. How many of us have a sense of urgency? You remember where, where Jesus said, look, there's, there's four months between the planting of seeds and the harvest. Look at the harvest. The fields are ripe into, ripe into harvest. Do you have a sense of urgency about you? I'll give you some information about Philip. Philip was known as an evangelist, the one who took the good news to Samaria, and you'll see next week some other places. He was known as an evangelist. Do, do you know, well, some of you say, well, that's, I, I know where you're going with this, but I'm not an evangelist. I, I, you know, I, I, I struggle. I don't have the gift of evangelism. If you're a follower of Christ, you, don't have the, you may not have the gift of evangelism, but you have the responsibility of telling other people and being a witness. I don't care who you are or what you are. If you're a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit empowers you to be a witness Important. You know, you know what's in the middle of the word evangelist? Guess. Angel. Do, do you know what an angel does? It's a bearer of good news. A proclaimer. You remember the times that the angels came? Guess what you are? You're not angels. Yes, you are. <laughs> Think about that. You're an angel. God's prepared you. He's positioned you to be a bearer of good news. No exceptions. We are to proclaim it. Jesus himself said this in John. We must quickly carry out the tasks that have been assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. Have you ever thought about there are people all around you during the week that are waiting to hear, that are sick, that are afflicted, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. And they're looking. And they're looking. And yet, so many times we're so busy trying to earn a living, trying to make it happen, and we miss it. In Paul's letter to Philemon, he said this in Philemon 1.6, he said, I'm praying that you will Put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience the good things. In the NIV, it says, I pray that you be active in sharing your faith, which means that this, if you want to experience the joy of being in Christ, you must be intentional about sharing the good news with other people. But there's a fear, isn't there? There is. Isn't there? Some of you are afraid. You're afraid to share. You're fearful. 
You may be fearful because your life has not always been the way that it should be, and you're fearful that if you talk that nobody will listen because they've seen you act otherwise and you just be a hypocrite like everybody. You know what I'm saying? You're fearful because you're afraid of how they may respond. You're fearful because you're afraid that they may ask you something that you don't know how to, how to, how to answer. So how many of us would honestly say, there are times in my life that I'm fearful of sharing the gospel? Don't be a, don't, don't, not tell the truth now. I can ask you another question that really puts you in a bad position. I'm fearful from time to time. I'm fearful. I want to give you two things really quickly before we leave here today that will help you. We're going to follow up on this next week. But I want to give you two things today that I think that will help you. Listen, in reference to being fearful, you never have to be afraid to share that which is good. Now, if it was bad news, I understand. But when you share good news, there's nothing to be afraid of. I promise you, if you win a million dollars today, everybody in this room will know that. Everybody on Facebook will know that because you'll tell them. Why is it any different than we've, we've gone from being dead to alive? So three, two things that you can just sort of take with you. Number one, in reference to fear, you always have as a believer your personal testimony, your life before Christ, when you made a decision to follow Christ, and your life since trusting Christ. Simple and put. Nobody can argue with you about your story and what Christ has done in your life. Are you with me? Nobody can argue that. It's real. It's your story. It's your story about his story. And you have the ability to share that, and nobody else can share your story but you. The second thing I want to give you is a little bit more difficult. But it is simple. And it's something you carry with you wherever you go. It's a tool that you have the ability to use that can act as a, it's like cheat notes. Don't you guys like cheat notes? Isn't that good to have some cheat notes? What are y'all looking at me like? Come on now. I'd like to have some cheat notes in case something's going on. I can look over really quickly and just take a glance, you know, and see. Man, you got cheat notes with you right where you go. Take your hand and look at it. If you're normal, <laughs> you got two hands. I can't say that about feet because I lost to have a foot in a lawnmower accident, so I know how it is. Sometimes we have accidents or things, and we don't have two hands or two feet, so I understand but if you're normal, the way God created you, probably got a hand that's probably got five fingers on it, right? I want you to look at your hand for a second. Did you ever recognize that your hand has the ability to be a witnessing tool for you? It does. Roger, I don't want you to miss this. I think this is really good. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you, this is really important, it's really simple, it's not hard, it's really easy, but it's your hand. Hand can be a witnessing tool. Number one, God has a purpose for your life. That purpose is that he wants you to have eternal life and experience, experience eternal life in heaven with him, right? Put your finger up there. Yeah, got that? But there's a problem. It's a problem. And that problem is sin, and that sin separates us from God. And the Bible says that all of us have sinned, Andre. Every one of us. Every one of us has sinned. And that keeps us from going to heaven, experiencing God's purpose in our life. We on the same line? One. 2,000 years ago, our, um, our Heavenly Father did something that only He could do. There were three men that died on a cross. You guys get that? Like one, two, three. Does that make sense? Can you guys do that? Three men died on a cross. One of those was Jesus. 
He died on a cross for the shedding of blood so that our sins could be forgiven so that we could experience eternal life. One of those men, one of those men decided to reject Jesus. He didn't any, want anything to do with what Jesus had to say. He didn't want anything to do with Jesus and he didn't believe. And as a result, that man did not experience, that man did not experience the forgiveness of sins nor eternal life, but he spent eternity in heaven because he rejected Christ. The other man that died on the cross with Jesus believed. He believed. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And that day Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Because that day, that man believed that Jesus had died on the cross, that he shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins so that he could have eternal life. See, that day that man made a commitment. Your ring finger. For those of us that are married, it reminds us of a commitment that we made to our spouse. 32 years ago, I made a commitment to Meredith. I said, Meredith, my, my, what I have is yours. What you have is mine. I commit my life to you. you. You commit your life to me. That day on the cross, that man committed his life to Christ. And in the best way he, he knew, he believed that Jesus died on the cross, that he shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins so that he could have eternal life. See, what that guy did that day is he exercised faith. My pinky finger reminds me of faith. It's for by faith that we're saved. For by God's grace are we saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. That day, that man placed his faith. It wasn't the fact that he knew everything, but he placed his faith. He made a commitment, believing that Jesus died on a cross for the shedding of blood, for the forgiveness of sins, so that he could experience eternal life. That's great news. But you know, even better the news is the fact that when we make that decision to follow Jesus, he puts us in the palm of his hand, and the Bible says that when he saves us, he seals us, he protects us, he saves us. It's a place of safety, and the Bible says that when we are placed in the palm of his hand, there's nothing we will ever be able to snatch us out of the Father's hand, that we're safe and secure for all eternity. It's a gospel in a nutshell. So the next time that you're with somebody and you're fearful about sharing, I want you guys to remember your hand. Pastor Sid told me this story one time. Can I tell it with you? You say you're in the midst of a conversation. Man, it sounds like you're asking some questions about some spiritual things. You know, it reminds me of my hand uh, that, that God loves me and he has a purpose for my life, but there's a problem. And that problem is, that problem is sin. 2,000 years ago, um, three men died on the cross. One of those was Jesus. One man rejected Jesus. The other man received Jesus. He, placed, he made a commitment to Christ. He placed his faith in Christ. He didn't understand it all. Forsaking all, he trusted Jesus. Forsaking all, I trust him. Have you ever made a decision like that? What is it that keeps you from making the most important decision in your life? Isn't that simple? It's awesome. And it's easy. And you know what? God takes little things like that and he uses them. And he gives you encouragement. I end with this. Paul said in Romans chapter 10, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. How in the world would the people within our community 
come to experience joy if heritage community, if heritage community doesn't do what God's called us to do. You want to experience joy in this community? Be about God's business. As you're going about your daily life, be about God's business. And so I finish today with this. I'm sending you. I'm sending you. I'm sending you to go. I'm sending you to go into the highways and the byways and to be faithful followers of Christ. To bring joy to the community by blessing and, and serving. To bring joy to the community by spreading the gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ saves. That God has a purpose, but sin keeps us from experiencing that purpose. But 2,000 years ago, there were three men that died on the cross. One of those was Jesus. And the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. One of those men rejected Jesus. The other man received him. He, he committed his life. He committed his life by faith. By faith. Do you know him? Be, be, because if you know him, you'll talk about him. Does that make sense? That's pretty heavy. Because that's different from going to church. That's different. That means that God's given us a mission to be on mission, to serve and to share. And I commission you to be the church. Would you bow with me today? Father, I'm very thankful for the opportunity to be a part and to share your word and what it has to say. I pray that you would take these things that we have talked about today and you would, you would burn them deep within our souls. I know that we have believers here that are fearful, that are fearful of, of for whatever reason, to share. Father, would you give them, would the Holy Spirit give them a deep sense of, of burden as well as confidence and courage today to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? Help us to be your hands and feet here within this community. But yet there may be someone here that doesn't know you. Maybe they've heard the gospel this morning as we have presented it. And even today, their heart yearns to trust you. Would they even today make that decision to follow you? And in making that decision right where they are to confess their sins, to place their faith, commit their lives to you, Father, would they let one of us know today about that decision so that we can follow up and walk alongside of them? Father, we thank you for the challenge, for the opportunity we have to be your witnesses in this place. May we be your ambassadors. I pray even now for our men's retreat and for the opportunity for us to gather, for us to learn, for us to be encouraged this next week. Be with David as he prepares be with every man that has the opportunity of good to be able to be a part of that time. Father, would it be a time of encouragement for every person, and may it be a catalyst for us being who you've called us to be within this community and in our homes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.